Chapter 11, Church versus Israel. After the last chapter, you will see a little redundancy, but it's such an important subject, much, much of this information bears repeating. That said, Christianity believes and teaches, for the most part, the Christian church replaced or replaces Israel as the Creator's chosen people. But again, <clears throat> Yahweh made it very clear his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was a forever deal. The only way the Christian uh, church could replace Israel is if the Creator lost or gave up on his people. But did he? Really? Did Yahweh actually make a mistake by choosing Israel to be his people? Did he really underestimate their ability to keep or obey his Torah because he made it just too hard to be kept and then was forced to revert to plan B to replace obedience with grace? Was he also forced to make a new covenant with the Gentiles in lieu of his own chosen people Israel? Even though he clearly states in Malachi 3, I am Yahweh and I do not change. <clears throat> Unfortunately, what Christianity primarily teaches is the Creator made an error in giving ancient Israel his Torah or law, which of course was just too difficult to observe. And also as pointed out in the last chapter, it's mostly taught the Creator lost most of his people and even rejected those he didn't, the Jews. Christianity went on to teach the Creator replaced Israel with the Gentiles, that is the non-Israelites, to start over with a whole new program and covenant. Please, don't misunderstand. Christianity, in my opinion, is the best world's best religion, but was created by the evil ones uh, by hijacking biblical truth primarily through mistranslation. Yes, Christianity is an extremely good imitation, but close just doesn't get it. What Christianity has done completely derails the Creator's entire plan of creating His eternal family. And again, exercising a little redundancy by stating what cannot be overemphasized, what kind of inept God makes such a huge mistake as to choose the wrong people and to give them living instructions, that is Torah and law, just too hard to keep. Topping that, he then loses most of them and has to go with their enemies instead? Wow. All I can say is Christianity had better find a new, smarter, and more powerful God. If this weren't such an absurd travesty, it would be hilarious. Revelation 13 tells us the plan for Yahweh's birth and death was from the foundation of the world. And certainly not plan B, in case the so-called law didn't work. And Yahweh did not make a mistake by choosing the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and giving them his Torah instructions on living in love. Yes, considering they were filled with the spirit of the dragon, that is pride as we all are, it's actually impossible to keep Yahweh's living Torah instructions without supernatural help. But then that was all part of the plan, considering he tells us he has chosen the foolish and the least things of the world to put to shame the wise. In fact, of Noah's sons, Shem, the great-grandfather of Abraham, was the least of the three. But then Yahweh always does the impossible to show humanity he is the God of the impossible. Sadly, Christianity was derailed from Bible instructions by their inability to see the big picture. Not seeing or understanding that picture is due to their rejection of Yahweh's, the Creator's feasts outlining His plan in the first place. But there's more between the lines we must understand to completely comprehend that big picture and plan. Once again, the Creator's children, i.e. family, cannot be forced to love Him. For Yahweh to force His children in any way would make our love a lie. Yahweh does not want forced, coerced love or love born out of fear. Those types of love are not real love at all. 
Again, what Yahweh needs from us is to choose to love and respect him, that is first, and each other second, because we want to, and not because we feel obligated or coerced like going to hell if we don't. But choosing to love is only the half of it. The other half is to fight for that choice. A choice not fought for is not a real choice at all. Talk is cheap. That's the whole reason the adversarial angels and demon spirits exist. To first, dissuade us from making the loving choice, and second, to get us to give up on that choice after making it. With that in mind, Christianity's greatest disservice to modern Israel is to convince us there is no fight, that Jesus takes care of it or does it all if we just believe and or have faith. Christianity's teaching that grace and faith alone saves us literally makes our behavior or works irrelevant. Works is just the Christian word for behavior. But the 700-pound gorilla in the room is all the world's evils are simply the result of bad or evil behavior. That said, how on earth can behavior or works be irrelevant? James plainly tells us faith without works is dead or worthless. That's in James 2.20. In fact, the Ten Commandments or words are all about not performing hurtful behavior, first to our Creator and secondly to each other. Yeshua, the Hebrew Messiah, then came and taught the positive side, which is good works. Again, to say works or behavior is irrelevant is an absolute absurdity. No, it's the lack of good works that's responsible for all the world's evils. Once the hurtful, abusive behavior, that is, sins of commission, are eliminated, the world will be a glorious and wonderful place. And no, the Creator will not or cannot simply infuse us with good behavior as most of Christianity teaches. It must be fought for and uncoerced to be real. If the Creator or Jesus does it for us, we're nothing but robots, which the Creator does not want for children. The good news is, after we've chosen Yahweh and His Torah of love and spend our life fighting for that choice, we will at some point be imbued with power from on high. On the other hand, we can freely choose the dark side of pride and selfishness, which was the very reason we were created physical in the first place. If we choose to not give real love to our Creator and each other, we will simply return to the dirt from which we were formed. That's what a merciful God does. Only a despicably evil God punishes or tortures a person for eternity for simply making a stu stupid and or ignorant choice. How absolutely shocking the way Christianity teaches people will be tortured for eternity in hellfire simply for not accepting Jesus as their Savior or not even knowing Him. How sick is that? Is that really the God, Yahweh, sitting on a mercy seat that's dictating such obscene horror? No, we can be sure that horrific teaching of being tortured forever where it's originating, with those that hate the Creator and His people. It is they that are going to be thrown into that fire. That's in Revelation 20. So naturally, the lake of fire is what the evil ones desire for humanity, only with an evil twist, an ever-burning one. But considering Yahweh's mercy, even the rebellious evil angels will not be tortured for eternity, but will simply be burned up once and for all. Getting back to the church versus Israel, the word church is not an original word from the scriptures. It was apparently King James that insisted the word church be used in lieu of called out ones or individuals, which is what the Greek word ekklesia means. Individuals are very different from corporate groups. Again, the word ecclesia denotes an individual walk with our Creator. We cannot enter his family on the coattails of a church or anyone else. Not even being an Israelite will do it. What's most important about Israel being Yahweh's chosen people is the purpose Yahweh intends for them. 
When we understand the outline of the feast, that role becomes obvious, a fact proclaimed by the Creator a few times in the Old Testament. There he told them they were to be a light set on a hill. That's Isaiah 49.6. An example for the Gentile world to follow. And being that light makes them a literal priesthood to the Gentiles. Just to be clear, a priesthood is a bridge between Yahweh and mortals. In fact, that's what Pontiff Maximus, what they call the Pope, means. The Israelite priesthood, or bridge, is exactly where the universal or Catholic Church got the term and idea. But then it's quite understandable considering the first 15 popes were Jewish. With that in mind, a common practice to bring two kingdoms peacefully together was the union of the prince of one king to marry the daughter of another. How interesting, the creators did exactly that by divinely impregnating a mortal woman to create an actual bridge between the spirit realm and the physical. Yeshua, being half of both realms, makes him that perfect drawbridge, which he himself proclaimed to be the door, that is, to Yahweh and his family. The Jewish Pharisees, that is, the rabbis, continued demonizing the twelve apostles until the destruction of Jerusalem. Another prediction he and his apostles uh, made or were teaching coming to fruition. And with Yeshua's return occurring around 80 AD, the rabbis realized they had a huge problem. They now had to double down to regain the trust and following of the remaining Jews. In fact, that's one reason Paul or Saul's writings became a large part of this regrouping and regaining of trust. They didn't really bring it together until after the council at Nicaea. That council was commanded by the Roman Emperor Constantine in 325 CE. He was so frustrated with the bickering and fighting amongst the religions in his empire, he reordered all the religious leaders to assemble at Nicaea and not leave, that is, on the pain of death, until they created a universal religion. That is exactly what they did with the creation of the Catholic Church. Catholic, by the way, is Latin for universal. But because one of the things decreed was changing the Jewish Saturday Sabbath to Sunday, a splitting of the Jewish clergy occurred. Half the rabbis stayed with the universal church to found the universal religion of Christianity, and the other half stayed with Saturday and Judaism. Proof of this is in the modern cardinals wearing their red Jewish yarmulkes, that is a Jewish skull cap, while the Pope wears his white one. Amazing how few notice that fact even though flaunted in front of our faces. Another fact flashed in front of our eyes and hardly noticed is the fish head caps certain of the Catholic clergy wear. Christians have been told the fish caps are a reference to the feeding of the thousands with the few loaves of bread and fish, and or a reference to Yeshua telling his disciples he would make them fishers of men, that is, versus fish. But the real reason for the fish symbol and fish hats happened in the forming of that universal religion. Those fish symbols were of the Palestinian fish god Dagon, who was a Nephilim hybrid, who was half angelic fish and half human. We know, to, we know them today as mermaids or mermen. That's who Neptune or Poseidon was, Lord God of the seas. The worship of Dagon was just one of the many pagan gods incorporated into that new universal or Catholic religion at the Council of Nicaea to appease those pagan religions. 